Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. I am starting out the Inward Journey messages today. And uh, I get to do a message that I'm actually doing at Vine. And I, ooh, there it is. I felt the power there. And that's, you can get carried away with a microphone like this. <clears throat> I'm starting a, a, a mini-series at Vine. And you guys are going to get the first part of that today. Sadly, you won't get the other two or three or how many others, but this is a standalone, so no worries. You're not getting shortchanged. But, yeah, Lord, let me speak as I ought to this morning. Let your words be powerful, and God, let us accept your challenges today. Let us be men and women that accept your challenges because you're good in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message, today's message is going to be on the importance of solitude. Solitude. And we're going to talk about what I mean by that and what I don't mean by that. But for the next month at Vine, I'm focusing on this book. Has anybody seen or heard of this book, Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen? Anybody? No? Yes, one person. Fantastic. All right, this is one of my favorites. If I had to list five books that were just revolutionary and changed my life, with the beard thing, I messed up this mic. I don't, this is the the roughest start. Let's restart. Good morning. I'll hold it like this if I have to. We're going to talk about solitude today, and we're going to base it on this book by Henry Nouwen. It is not working at all. You know what? Luke, you prayed that I might be off notes earlier, and I might, in fact, be. So that's all right. Check it out. This book has been misunderstood by one friend I gave it to. If I had to pick five books that changed my life and influenced me, this would be on the list. Okay. And if you're an introvert, this is a great book. And if you're an extrovert, it might seem like a total nightmare, okay? Because this book was written by Henry Nouwen in the early 80s, actually inspired by St. Anthony, who I'm named for, written in 1981, the year I was born. Coincidence? Perhaps. Perhaps. But it is one of my favorites. And he realized that we have a very wordy, very complicated, very confusing, very demanding, very busy, consumeristic culture. And so he thought, you know, we need to be reminded of some ancient disciplines that they used way back in the early, early, early days of Christianity. We're talking like 300 A.D. and on. And there there was this group of people called the Desert Fathers, started by St. Anthony. St. Anthony was born in 251 A.D. and died at 106. I mean, that's quite a life. St. Anthony was 18 years old. He's in Egypt, and he hears a sermon. And the the pastor, the preacher, whatever they were back then, I really don't even know, said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he said, that's for me. He felt the call. He sold what he had. He moved to the edge of town. And then he felt that the Lord was calling him deeper into his presence. And he retreated into the wilderness for 20 years. And in 20 years, in complete solitude in the Egyptian wilderness, he went through a terrible, terrible, terrible trial. He was not on vacation. And if you look up the temptation of St. Anthony, many artists have tried to paint the internal struggle that he went through. You know, he he felt like he was fighting real tangible demons and his himself in the desert. But when he came back to society after 20 years of solitude, people would come from all over to get his advice. He had all the marks of a truly healthy man, and he really understood his identity in God. So this works with our, our definition of spiritual growth. This is our theme for 2017. And our definition is from Mulholland, from his book, Invitation to a Journey, which is being conformed to the image of Christ 
for the sake of others. So this book is not saying go become a monk. This book is a course correction. When you're driving down an icy road and your, road, your, your car loses traction and you veer to the right, you want to turn the wheel slightly to the left, right? I mean to correct. But once that car corrects and you're going straight, you don't hold that correction, right? That'll get you in the ditch on the other side of the road. So I let somebody borrow this book and it changed my life. And I'm like, oh man, let me know what you think about it. And he says, I hated it. I'm like, what do you mean you hated it? He's like, well, there's no, this he doesn't talk about community at all. I'm like, oh, you missed it, man. Like this, this is a course correction. He's not setting a new course. So don't read it and think he's telling you to be a monk, okay? He's telling you to retreat for the sake of others. I'm going to try this again. Hopefully my slides will work. All right. It might be frozen. So I'm just going to roll. Is that okay? If I just, I get tons of grace, right? Because my slides are gone. Well, check it out. I'm going to just read the quotes because I think I know where they are. Thomas Merton, has anybody heard of him? He was actually a monk in the early, yeah, all right, Lou. He wrote a quote and he said that to these people, the Desert Fathers, society was viewed as a shipwreck. And you were crazy if you stayed in the shipwreck. Thanks, man. You needed to swim for your life. And if you accept the tenets of the society you live in, that's a disaster. So these people thought, we cannot be conformed to the world. That's what the Bible says. We cannot do that. We need to do something absolutely radical to avoid. You are an amazing saint. To avoid being, thank you so much. Yeah. That's good. That's so good. All right, we talked about Henry Nowen. We're in the inward journey. Here's the quote. Society was regarded by the Desert Fathers as a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life. These were men who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. This is true. It still is true. It may be more true. He wrote this in 1981 and was talking about how crazy the world is. I think it's only gotten crazier. But if you read this, this is only half the story. Thomas Merton continues this idea a few pages later. The Desert Fathers knew that they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. They had not only the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. Today, we're starting the inward journey. The inward journey answers some questions for us. Who am I in God? What is my identity? How do I become more conformed to Christ and less conformed to the world? And today we are going to hammer on that last one. Specifically, how do I drop this thing that is my false self? We're going to talk about recapturing the discipline of solitude that these guys had nailed for the sake of other people so that we can become who we truly are in Christ and we can drop this faker that we actually end up passively accepting and we rarely even think about. And it's going to be more of a battle than we might anticipate. Does this make sense? Excellent. Talked about that. What does solitude mean? All right, if we're going to talk about getting away from it all, solitude, we have different ideas in our minds of what that looks like. Let me suggest that most of our lives feel like a fight, don't they? Monday through Friday. So if this is what your life feels like, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. I heard a preacher some say one time that God gives us an A some days just because we stood up. <laughs> And man, that's true some days, but I don't want that to be true for me every day, you know what I mean? But there's a lot of people I know that this is their life. So if this is what life feels like, this is what your solitude feels like. You're in your corner, maybe you finally get to take your gloves off, get a drink, maybe you have somebody in your corner to give you a little pep talk, 
and it feels like the 30-second break to get just enough strength to go back out and do exactly what you were doing before, you know? So we look forward to these moments to recharge, to continue doing exactly what we were doing. But this is not the solitude that Henry Nowen and these Desert Fathers knew. This is not how they viewed it at all. Another thing we think of when we think of solitude is me time, right? We think of peace and quiet. Anybody else? And I'm not saying you don't need me, team, my, me time. I need me time. But this, this wonderful... I'm getting amens all over. Yes, come on. You know, I, I specifically looked for a picture with a misty lake. Like, I had to have that in the search because it just completes the scene, you know? I mean, this guy is in solitude. He's having a break. He's chilled out. There's no stress. There's no obligations. There's nothing to worry about. Just him, you know? I think he's baiting his hook. He's probably, probably, probably using leeches would be my guess, a little walleye action on the lake. But this is not, this might be important. We might need this, but this is not the solitude of the Desert Fathers either, okay? And this is not the discipline we need to recapture. For them, solitude was represented better by this. Solitude was the fire of transformation. It was the place of the encounter with God, the encounter of the false self, and the battle between them. When you got in alone with the Lord, you were being forged. You were inviting the hammering process of God. You were laying yourself on the anvil and saying, shape me. Get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong. Make me who I really am. This is an active really involved in demanding form of solitude. That's why it was a discipline and not vacation. And this is what we need to recapture. Does that sound good? You're an introvert if you just heard that and said, amen, that sounds great. Solitude, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe there's some extroverts out there too. But this is what we're going for. Here's a quote from the book. The Desert Fathers believe that solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born, the place where the emergence of the new man and new woman occurs. That's intense. And in this solitude, some things are going to happen. If we get into a true wilderness solitude, the kind of solitude they sought when they literally left everything and went out into the desert, we first need to get rid of our distractions. And Henry Nowen calls them a scaffolding in this book. Because remember, we're going there to take the inward journey and face an enemy. And that enemy... And today's message specifically is our false self, the self that we've built up that isn't actually our identity. So we need to get rid of everything that props up that false self when we get alone. We need to intentionally encounter God, know that you will encounter your false self, allow the battle to happen, and the false self should be overcome by surrender to God with the ultimate goal of your true identity replacing your false identity. This is an intense solitude. Let's talk about what it looks like to encounter God in solitude. You know, this is not an uncommon thing in the Bible. A lot of great men and women in the Bible encountered God in solitude, and it wasn't a vacation. It was intense. So I'm going to read some passages that kind of capture what we're going after. Here's Moses. The mountain is shaking. Everybody's scared to death. Moses went up on the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Waits for six days in a cloud, scared to death, probably. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. Think of the forge. And on top of the mountain, in the sight of the people of Israel, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain 
40 days and 40 nights. This was an intense period of solitude. And it captures what we're going for because in his solitude, he wasn't quite alone, was he? We're not thinking of privacy. We are getting alone to encounter God. And things are going to change. This is intense. Elijah is another example. Who knows the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? It's like one of the toughest, awesomest stories in the Bible. You know, he single-handedly defeats all the prophets of Baal. And then he gets scared. He gets really scared and he retreats into the desert and he says, God, I've had enough. This is just too hard. I'm ready to punch the time clock and be done. God miraculously gives him a meal that lasts him 40 days and 40 nights so that he can run cross-country through the middle of nowhere alone to meet God on God's mountain and complain. This is what happens. God said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And if you feel like Elijah's just kind of letting all of his internal monologue hang out before God Almighty, like, I'm sick of this crap. They're killing everybody. I'm all alone. They want to kill me too. Where are you? I don't know. I have to run 40 days to talk to you. And God's like, get up here. And what's he going to get when he goes to the mountain? God's going to say, you don't know how many people I've got. I've got tons of people you don't even know about. And if you want to be done, fine. Go replace yourself with this Elisha guy. You can punch out if you want. But he's going to get a kind of a rebuke from the Lord. This is not vacation. He's being honest in what's inside What's inside is encountering God, and God is correcting. This is the kind of solitude that we are trying to go for. Jesus modeled this as well. He feeds the 5,000. They want to make him king. You remember this? He retreats. The world is clamoring for his attention. And what does he do? After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus modeled this all the time. After healing the ten lepers... He's really famous. More and more and more, the world and everybody, they know his name, they know what he's about. They're, he's gaining favor, and what does he do? The news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would, what's that next word? Often slip away to the wilderness and pray. This recurring theme of a desert-style solitude is all over in the Bible. Even Paul. When Paul is telling the Galatians about, I had my whole world thrown upside down, Paul had to encounter his false self by literally being knocked off a horse. That's pretty intense. His whole world was shaken. His worldview was cracked and broken and replaced. How do you deal with something like that? By going away. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. And if you look at the note underneath, Arabia means the desert or barren place. There wasn't a lot there. I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to meet Peter and the other disciples. He needed a time of intense changing. He needed to be forged and molded into something else. The old Paul had to die, and the new Paul had to come to life. 
This is the solitude that Henry Nouwen and the Desert Fathers are trying to recapture on purpose. And this is what we're going for. Let's talk about the false self a little bit. How are you guys doing out there? Is this good? Excellent. This is Nouwen. The struggle is real because the danger is real. It is the danger of living the whole of our life as one long defense against the reality of our condition. It's one restless effort to convince ourselves of our own virtuousness. It is the struggle to die to our false self. But, big but, St. Anthony and all the Desert Fathers discovered this. It is far, far beyond our own strength. If your false you shows up, and if you don't know what I mean by that, talk to me later. I hope it's clear by the end. But if it shows up and you're not encountering God, it is going to kick your tushy every single time. It's a guaranteed lose to try to fight the fake you without God. Guaranteed lose every single time. This is an artistic representation of what St. Anthony went through in the wilderness. This is from the Eisenheim altarpiece painted by Grunewald, and he's being pulled and abused and beaten and tossed around by demons. This is what he felt like was going on. And he spent 20 years refusing to run to any comfort, to any scaffolding, as Henry Nouwen said, to prop him up. He faced what he really was, a depraved sinner without anything inside himself to make him commendable to God. And at the end of the day, the only thing that could save him was God showing up and being stronger. That's it. Here's Paul talking about the false self. This is why it's so pointless to fight it ourselves. This is from Romans 7. It's a famous chapter. But when we look at it through this lens, it makes a lot of sense. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Frustrating. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to draw your attention specifically to that first sentence. I do not understand my own actions. People will try to understand God. Everybody takes the three journeys, right? Everybody will try to understand themselves. Everyone is craving to understand spiritual things, and everybody will try to relate to the world in some way. But not only are we hopelessly lost when it comes to understanding God, the Bible clearly teaches Man, we are all hopelessly lost to understand ourselves. We can't even get us. It takes God's initiative and God's intervention to help us understand ourselves. It's hard to find out what's the real you and what's the false you without God. Here's the same idea from Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. We can claim that promise if we trust in the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's great. Here's why it's dumb to trust in yourself. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is what Paul was saying. I don't even get me. But it's the Lord who tests the mind and heart. We need God even to understand ourselves. It's crazy. There's literally no hope of victory unless God shows up. If you're goaded by the flesh, that fake you, and the devil in the world, you will continue to manufacture false selves and false identities. You know, it's funny. I remember I was sitting on my deck about two and a half years ago, and I was pondering 
picking up a, a hobby that I let go a while back, and I'm, I'm thinking like, well, maybe I can work it into my schedule this way and this way and this way. And, you know, I hesitate to say, and then God spoke, because I think that's a really big phrase, but I definitely felt in my spirit, that's what we'll say, said, why aren't you putting your identity in me? And I realized, oh, life's getting hard in these other areas, so literally, without letting myself know I'm trying to fool myself and tack something else on, and I can say, oh, well, the weight of my identity is really over here. So I can be stressed out in these areas because really this is the real me. I would never think that with my conscious mind, ever. Sounds totally bizarre, doesn't it? And kind of weak, honestly. But the Lord shows up and says, that's false self. You don't want to build that. We're trying to tear this down. Let that go and let these things go too and just find your identity here. If we're goaded by those things, and we all are, if you don't know what's going on, you will continue to manufacture false selves because we instinctively become what our world rewards. It will happen. We like reward. Whatever is commended, whatever is reinforced, there will be a tendency to be more like that thing. If you're in a workaholic culture, you'll think, hey man, i got to work harder. If it's money, I need more money. If everybody around me is super tough, I need to be tough too. It could be a million things. We instinctively want to mold ourselves to something. And it's easier to do it to something that's rewarding us and giving us feedback and saying, yeah, that's great, that's who you are. That You're succeeding at that. Do that. The false self is the self which is fabricated by social compulsion. Wow. And it will kick your butt unless you encounter God. John Calvin said that the heart of man is an idol factory. It's also an identity factory. We will continue to create other selves. And only a ruthless uncovering of our hearts and our stripping off of false identities by God will save us. It's the only hope we have to let go of this false us we try so hard to create. Story time. Story time from the book. You want to hear? Okay, everybody gather around, get your blankies and some tea. No. This is a, an example of what a story from the Desert Fathers is. Okay, I'm going to read this one in its entirety, and it demonstrates this last point. An old man was living in a temple, and the demons came to him. Leave this place which belongs to us, they said. And the old man replied, No place belongs to you. Then the demons began to scatter the old man's palm leaves about, one by one. And the old man went on gathering them together with persistence. A little later, the devil took his hand and pulled him to the door. When the old man reached the door, he seized the lintel with the other hand and cried out, Jesus, save me! And immediately the devil fled away. Then the old man began to weep. The Lord asked him, Why are you weeping? And the old man said, Because the devils have dared to seize a man and treat him like this. The Lord responded to him, You've been careless. For as soon as you turn to me again, you see I was beside you. Man, he was trying so hard, wasn't he? He's telling those demons where to go. This isn't your place. They're wrecking stuff and he's trying to put it back together. Ultimately, just heading towards failure because a real struggle can only take place when we encounter God first. Only in the presence of God and through His power can we hope to defeat this thing that we constantly try to make called the false self. Here's an extended quote from Nowen. 
We enter into solitude, first of all, to meet our Lord and to be with Him and Him alone. Only in the context of grace can we face our sin. Only in the place of healing do we dare show our wounds, and only with single-minded attention to Christ can we give up our clinging fears and face our own true nature. As we come to realize, it is not we who live, but Christ who lives in us, that He is our true self. We can slowly let our compulsions melt away and begin to experience the freedom of the children of God. This is what we want. This is what St. Anthony, all those old guys in the desert were going after. Victory over a false self in a real battle. So I have a challenge for you guys. Does that sound good? You guys want a challenge? Here it is. And I've, I've been taking this myself. This isn't just me. You know, I'm always, when I was a kid, side note, I used to hate going to youth conferences and stuff because there'd be some stranger dressed really trendy with a huge beard up front every time. It was the weirdest thing. Not really, no. And I'd think to myself, who are you, man, you know, telling me what to do? I'm doing this. I'm in the middle of this. This isn't preaching down to anybody. This is right to Pastor Anthony's heart. We need to find a desert. A discipline has a concrete form. Where is it going to be? We are not monks. The odds are none of us will be called to be monks. But where are you going to experience this kind of solitude on purpose? Henry Nowen makes the point that even if you're not a monk, you are still responsible for your own solitude. And Jesus says this in so many words when he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Get alone. Get rid of everything else but you and me. And whatever comes up, we'll deal with. Drop your distractions. This man, okay, so I'm in the middle actually of a media fast right now. Not because I was into you know, anything too crazy or wrong. It's not what it is, it's the thing itself. The videos I was watching, the music I was listening to, it was like robbing me of true solitude and silence. So the Lord was like, man, you just need to drop that. Okay, God, until when? Well, I'll let you know. Great. And i got to tell you, there's a certain amount of peace in it, though. Drop the distractions. So many of them are just scaffolding anyway, trying to convince you you are this thing that you've built, reinforcing the false self that we're trying to get rid of. You have to leave the phone in your room. Don't turn on the TV. Don't read a book, unless it's the Bible. Get to that in a second. Just be willing to let it all go. Next, encounter God on purpose. This is why you're doing it. It doesn't have to take three hours. You don't need a five-day retreat, although if you can do that, that might be great. Maybe 20, 30 minutes. You might actually really start to like the clarity and the change it brings. You might want to go longer than that. But here's what I'd suggest. If you're not very good at, quote-unquote, encountering God or hearing God's voice or anything like that, we are all in luck because I happen to know where there is a whole lot of words that God gave us that we can read. It's this thing called the Bible. It's really great. And the super simple way to make this discipline work and to encounter something in yourself from God that needs to change, open up your Bible to Matthew, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. Read one of those chapters and then sit in the presence of God in solitude and let it work on you a little bit. Probably do that for life, and it wouldn't be a bad idea. But if you want to encounter God, that's, that's I don't want to say the shortcut, but that is definitely a sure way to do it. And lastly, discipline yourself. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Give God permission. Be willing. 
to dismantle your false self. Moses was called the most humble man ever to live. He really didn't seem to have too many delusions of grandeur or, or anything. Maybe a bit of a temper problem, but maybe. I think that's up for debate. But isn't it interesting that he spoke to God face-to-face -face as a friend all the time? Man, he was changed by that. His face used to glow. We'd have to cover it up. If we spend time with God, everything that makes us arrogant or prideful, all of our scaffolding will be burned away. And sometimes, I think that's why I run from a dramatic encounter from God. Uh oh, can I admit that? First, we repent of that, and then we get into a dramatic encounter with God. It doesn't hurt to be honest with God. It hurts not to be honest with God. Dismantle your false self on purpose. Who is willing to take this challenge? Raise your hand. Yes! Awesome. So good. Guys, I'm really glad. Let me pray to close. How long did I go? I actually have no idea. That was good. Jesus. God, we just repent right now for anything that would keep us from desiring, anything that would stop up and, and clog the desire to meet with you, we need to repent of. God, we just declare that you are good, you want what's good for us, and that the you you created us to be is better than the us we want to manufacture for ourselves. God, we choose to drop the false self, all of its paint and all of its ugly accessories, God, and we choose to be who you want us to be in Jesus' name. And let's just ask God a question right now. Just repeat after me. Say, God, show me my false self. I really believe we don't need to wait a half an hour for an answer. I really believe that if there's something on your heart, God can show you pretty quick. And if God showed you something, an image of anything or a feeling, actually, everybody should say this. Just say, Lord, I give you permission to dismantle that. Make me who you say I am. Jesus, we do give you permission to mold us, to chisel and to polish and to sand, and even to overhaul, Lord, because we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, over here we have a prayer team, and they would love to pray with you about just about anything, I reckon. Right, Luke? Right? Or, they can, or you can pray for them. They're accepting prayer at this time, and there's amazing food in the back. You guys are dismissed. Thank you.